Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Good evening and welcome to the Advent on this Feast of the Ascension. Today we celebrate the Ascension, the day that Jesus ascends to sit at the right hand of God. In the midst of this pandemic, one may start to wonder, is this some sort of social distancing? Perhaps Jesus was the first evidence that teleworkers at home can be trusted to do their jobs effectively. Of course, these are just funny thoughts. But it is entirely fair to ask, why are you leaving us? Surely the disciples did. They expected the Messiah, as we heard in our passages tonight, to be a victorious king, sweeping in to overthrow the enemies of the Jewish people and restore their control over their own lives. So I think it's fair to ask even two millennia later, why did you have to go? Why can't you just stay here with us, Jesus, for the rest of eternity? And of course we know that Jesus will return, and we will spend the rest of our time with him in eternity. But why did he have to leave in the meantime? Well, just as Jesus, in his fast of 40 days in the desert, had accomplished what the Israelites had not accomplished in 40 years in the desert, complete obedience to God, we hear that the disciples likewise failed in this trial of a mere 40 days following Jesus' resurrection. They really simply still didn't get it. As we've discussed in the last few weeks, we hear throughout the Easter season that the disciples weren't quite ready for what was coming. First, Thomas is unwilling to believe unless he sees with his own eyes and touches with his own hands. We hear hear Jesus prophesy of his crucifixion in the three days. He will lay in a tomb likened to labor pains. We hear him warn the disciples that he will be leaving soon. And this brings sorrow to their hearts. And now we hear how Jesus, and, we, and then we heard last week about how Jesus uh, visited the disciples after they went back to fishing, back to their usual lives. And Peter can't yet offer self-sacrificial love to our Lord. And we hear in tonight's gospel that Jesus was forcefully scolding the disciples because they still weren't getting it, because of their unbelief and their hardness of heart, it says. They didn't believe, even though they'd seen him after he was risen. It's hard not to hear echoes of those words we heard on the first Sunday after Easter when Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yet here Jesus seems to be saying, you've seen and you still don't believe. The first hint that Jesus was not going to stay as the victorious military general they had been imagining was actually the very moment his resurrection was discovered. Well, I mean, he'd been telling them before this too, but it didn't wait one moment after he was resurrected to remind them. Indeed, Mary Magdalene, the first witness to the resurrection, When she recognized Jesus for who he was, worshipped him. 
And apparently she was embracing his legs, so happy to see the risen Lord, that his response was, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's clear Jesus, even right after his resurrection, was reminding them at his first appearance that this time on earth was not to last. But why? Well, it turns out, of course, that instead of Jesus going back to heaven to telework, he was actually going back to the office after a 33-year quarantine here on earth. Hopefully our quarantine doesn't last as long. But Jesus was returning to the office, like uh, many of us have or will be changed. We're changed after this time, separated from it. And it's critical that we as Orthodox Christians understand what happened during the Ascension. Now first we see uh, in the icons of the Ascension that Jesus rising into heaven, he's surrounded by what's called a mandorla, this almond-shaped artistic device that shows that this was something that took spiritual eyes to see. And if you had been there that day, you wouldn't have seen Jesus floating up to heaven like a balloon. I think that some people believe that, especially given some of the Western forms of art we see. And and yet, despite the spiritual nature of this event, it is important to realize how meaty this event was. This had it still had this incarnational aspect to it. The incarnation, I think some people think, ended when Jesus ascended back into heaven, that somehow Jesus became an angel or a spirit being or that he just converted back into God. And that's not the case at all. And furthermore, I'll note that God is not a spiritual being, at least not in the sense that angels are spiritual beings. Again, angels are created. They aren't uncreated like God. God's wholly separate from them. So he's not a spirit being. God's God, and nothing else is quite like him. But what's critical in the ascension, and what shows, and why the incarnation still carries on, is that in the ascension, Jesus as God and man ascended into heaven. As God and man, perfect God and perfect man. And what he did was he took our very nature into the throne room of God. And thereby, he permitted us to be in direct communion with God the Father and the Godhead and with the Trinity. And likewise, we will be raised as mind, body, and spirit on the last day to spend eternity with God. In, in our bodily form, in our human form, because Christ did the same thing. This is why in the creed, we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body. And to emphasize that body, that human body, is part of our future existence. We will not be angels tiptoeing through heaven, as so many people visualize when they think about people who die. So, The ascension is a prophecy of things to come for those who love God and believe in him. And as I said, this represented not an exception. This wasn't telework, but a return to the day-to-day office affairs of God, a return to the typical day in the life of the Son of God. Jesus had to ascend to save us 
just as he had to descend to save us. They're intimately connected, and we can't have one without the other. And as we started to discuss over the last few weeks, Jesus' ascent is tied to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us himself that unless he goes, the Spirit won't come. Well, why would that be? Why must Jesus leave so that the Spirit can come? Well, we were just discussing how the disciples, despite everything that they had experienced and been taught directly by Jesus, still didn't get it. They remind us that we, as, a, as human people, we can't do anything without God. And so God needed to come and help us in the most effectual of ways. God loving us so much that he completed his plan in the ascension to unite us with him through that self-sacrificial agape love I was telling you that Peter wasn't ready to give. God was ready to give. He did that by coming down from heaven, by dying on a cross, defeating our greatest foe, the enemy we brought upon ourselves, death. And now God would take it even another step. God would offer us eros love. And again, that's the root of the word erotic, but, and we've come to associate it only with sexual things. But it's really about becoming one, one flesh with another. And God tells us that the reason marriage is the way it is is that it's patterned after God's love for us. Man and woman became one flesh. God had a reason for marriage to be about the uniting of two into one. And now everything should be clear tonight on this Ascension Day. God humbled himself to become one of us in every way save sin so that we could be one with him. He carried every bit of what we are, body, mind, soul, will, and brought it home to be part of the family in the Ascension. And only when he had done what we are to do, renewed and ready to receive God fully, Jesus brought his bride to his father, clothed in obedient, humble, self-sacrificial love. And the Holy Spirit descended to seal and consummate that unity, it initially brought about through the incarnation of Christ, that established our race's betrothal to God and thereby extended through a marriage with all of mankind. What an awesome God we have who pursues us despite all the times we have and continue to run away from him. God wants to be with us. So you may ask, why did it take another 10 days? Why didn't the Holy Spirit descend right away? Well, I... Sometimes think this is, goes right with the part of uh, Jesus saying, it's not for us to know the times and the seasons of the Father. But I know, of course, that numbers, just like names, we talked about how important names are in the church. Numbers are important. Numbers matter in the Bible. So I don't have a perfect answer for you. But I do note that there's in 40, those 40 days, those 40 years we talked about, there's also 40 years, 40, I'm sorry, 40, yeah, 40 years, the age that Isaac, before he married Rebecca, 
Forty years was the number of years that King David reigned. So there's quite a bit there to, to unpack and think about. And we also know that this number 50, uh, which is what Pentecost means, 50 days, that 50 days is a number of a kind of super perfection. It's seven times seven, and then one more, your cup runneth over. And it corresponds to the Jewish feast of Pentecost, which preceded the, the, the sin of the Holy Spirit. It's one of, one of the feasts that we still celebrate at the same time. It was 50 days after Passover. And it was to celebrate the harvest. And at that harvest, we receive the abundant fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we have even more to celebrate than just the agricultural feast. But 50 is also related to the Jubilee year, where all debts are forgiven, where the land itself is given a Sabbath rest. And we could probably create some pretty interesting theories about that too. But I just want to stick to the facts today. There was a waiting period. And so what are we to do over these next 10 days while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? What are we supposed to do when the person that we've pinned all of our hopes and dreams on just packs up and leaves? What are we to do as Christian people? Well, I have some, some, some thoughts on that. First, I think it's a time to reflect. The disciples needed some time to process things. We need time to process things, especially this year. A lot's happened in these last few months for the disciples, and I know the same is true for you. I'm sure that's true in your spiritual lives and your physical lives. So over these next 10 days, I hope you'll take some time to pause, actually remember what's happened the last few months. I know that I find it really hard to remember what happened last week or two weeks ago. Every day feels the same, but we know it isn't. We know that things have happened, things that have changed us in both good and maybe not so good ways. And it's time to think about that. Reflect on those things. Don't let us get ourselves down, worried about what's already happened. The disciples didn't do that either. Instead, we should return to Jerusalem with great joy about what God has and will achieve. Let's think about the good and figure out how to make any of the more difficult parts better. Second, this is a good time to wait. We've been asked by Jesus to wait, and one of the ways that we wait is to pray. Pray in a community. The Christian life is a life lived in communion. Even Christian hermits live life in, in community and relationship. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these, that says, were continually devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is what the Bible tells us, and we, I think, should do the same. And one way we mark this each year is through something called a novena prayer, a nine-day prayer. And I've sent it out to, through our emails, and I've also 
we'll post it each day uh, as we go along on Facebook, each little part of it. These are these nine-day series of prayers, uh, in, in particular this one, the Novena to the Holy Ghost, I think of as the Novena of Novena, since this was really the most important nine-day period in the church. But there are other ones that we do sometimes at Christmas time and some other times of the year. So this nine-day period starts tomorrow, after the Ascension, the Saturday before Pentecost, where we will celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. So those are a couple of things. The third thing is we're reflecting, we're waiting, we're praying, and it's also time to rest and recover before the next battle. I'm sure the last few months for you, like those for the disciples, have been full of ups and downs, spiritual growth, spiritual setbacks. And we've also all, I think, experienced some serious physical challenges. It's hard, physically and mentally, to be cooped up. Also, like the disciples, there are likely to be a lot of things uh, that you will struggle to accomplish in the coming weeks, months, years. A lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifices to come. And so we know that once the Holy Spirit came, the disciples were going to be sent out all over the world to preach the marvelous good news that we've talked about tonight. But they were also going to suffer persecution and ultimately for all but John martyrdom and for John exile. So they needed a little break, a little bit of time to get over the events of the crucifixion, which had just happened just a month or so ago, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. And they, they needed some time to rest, get their wounds healed, to go back into this arena, into the battle. So I urge you, too, to take some time to rest. Let your wounds heal so that you're ready. With God this time, not just walking beside you, but in your heart. Just as he did for all of us when, he, when the Holy Spirit descended. So then you'll be ready to take those next steps in your spiritual life. Ready to tackle the next level. To climb ever closer to God. Because that is, that's what we're called to in this Christian life. It's not, we're not going to just walk right up the mountain. I don't, I don't know... Uh, if, if you got to, to watch the, the movie about uh, the elder on Mount Athos, but it was a struggle. He didn't just go up to Mount Athos and suddenly, you know, he was a saint. It was hard, hard work, struggling internally and externally. And we're called to do the same thing. So anytime you have a setback, don't worry. I think if you spend this time reflecting, looking back, you'll realize that you aren't where you started. You're a little further up the mountain, even if you took a couple of steps back somewhere along the way. So keep climbing ever closer to God. Lift yourself up just a little to meet Him, and He'll come the rest of the way as the Spirit comes down to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.